Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Tampa Bay Rays 8, the Cleveland Indians 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And Tampa Bay, man, they are just, they're in a different league than we are. They are absolutely in a different league. Tampa Bay hits the 60 win mark, which puts them in rare company. It actually ties them with Boston for the, uh, not only for the AL East lead, but it ties them with Houston too for the most wins in the American League. Everybody's tied up at 60 wins. The White Sox are right behind at 58. Oakland is right behind them at 56 in the second wildcard spot. And then you got a bunch of teams chasing in that wild card, including Cleveland, who is now at 500. Now at 500. And some of you on Twitter were asking me at the beginning of the season how many wins this team felt like. And I got to be honest, right now, I think I think 500 pretty much sums it up. I think this feels like a this feels like this might be a 500 team this year. I don't I'm not sure we're getting in 90 wins this year. I this is this is going downhill pretty fast. So as we approach the trade deadline, what is that going to mean? There's still a few days left. There is a few days left to wheel and deal for the Indians. We'll get into that after we talk about the game. So the big storyline for me in this one was the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen. The Rays decided to go with a bullpen day today. I believe this is where Rich Hill was supposed to start, but Hill just got traded. So they went with a bullpen day. And as uh, the color man for Fox Sports 1, A.J. Brzezinski, described it, it was uh, three up-downs or something like that where uh, everybody was going to try to go three innings and see how far that could carry them in the game. And they started with Drew Rasmussen. Then they passed it off to Lewis Head. Then they passed it off to Andrew Kitteridge, Jeffrey Springs, and then Diego Castillo came into the what would have been a save situation in the ninth until the Rays absolutely destroyed us in another ninth inning. But we'll get to that. So uh, the lines for these pitchers, usually in a bullpen day, you hope that you can get to one of these guys, right? You hope that one of these guys has a bad day and you can take advantage of it, right? That's the hard part about a bullpen day is the probability of your starting pitcher, you know, having a terrible day or a good day. You can adjust to that, right? But a bullpen day you're really stretching those odds out that somebody's going to come in and have a terrible day. And it just didn't happen. Rasmussen went three innings, one hit, one earned run, three strikeouts, no walks, and a home run. That solo home run was given up to Bobby Bradley in the second inning. Lewis Head comes in. He goes two innings, gives up two hits, one unearned run, although it was his error. So I feel like if the pitcher makes the error, shouldn't the run become earned? Anyways, no walks, four strikeouts for him on 42 pitches. Both of those guys only gave up one hard-hit ball. You could guess which one was Rasmussen's, right? Bobby Bradley's home run was smoked. I believe it was the hardest-hit ball of the entire day. Yes, top exit velocity on the day, Uh, 107.1. But uh, yeah, Lewis Head only gave up one hard-hit ball on the day. Uh, Kitteridge comes in next. He's dominant. He pitches an inning. That'd be the uh, sixth inning on seven pitches. 
Takes him seven pitches, including a strikeout to get out of it. No hits, no runs, no walks. Jeffrey Springs comes in and does two innings, gives up one hit, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts. He only gave up two hard hit balls. Diego Castillo in the ninth inning actually gives up three hard hit balls, including a hit, but no runs, no walks, no strikeouts. It's a clean inning after that one hit for Diego Castillo. So, bullpen was just absolutely, nobody had a bad day. Nobody had a bad day out of that bullpen. So, that's the big storyline for me. On the other side of things, J.C. Mejia, he had himself a day. There was a little bit of everything from J.C. Mejia yesterday. And this is why I love that we got the national broadcast yesterday. Fox Sports 1, A.J. Brzezinski giving us so much detail on the pitchers and the strategies and the things that were going on. It wasn't the typical jovial conversation that we're used to from Underwood and Manning and Andre Knott. Uh, There was some deep analysis in this one, especially of the pitching, especially of young J.C. Mejia. He goes six innings, gives up seven hits, five earned runs, two walks, six strikeouts, three home runs allowed on 87 pitches. He did start the uh, seventh inning, but ended up walking the first batter and was done after that. He was hard hit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 times. My God, he was getting hit hard yesterday. Um, it started out, it started out, well, it was pretty rough everywhere, uh, to be honest with you. Um, he technically he only gave up those four runs. That last run came in the seventh inning. That fifth run came in the seventh inning. The guy he walked would eventually come around to score. Maton would let up that run. So it was an inherited runner that would come around to score. It gets credited to JC Mejia. But to be honest, he did keep the Indians in the game. For as hard hit as Mejia was yesterday, he did keep the Indians in the game. And when he left the game, it was four to two. Okay, so you look at this final eight to two. Mejia gets hard hit that many times. When he left the game, it was four to two. It was a baseball game still. So I can't put all the blame on him for yesterday. He was hard hit a ton. And one of the things that AJ Prasinski was breaking down was the left-handed hitters versus right-handed hitters. And if we go over to the splits for J.C. Mejia on the season, he's got a 939 ERA against left-handed hitters. Now, he only has a 509 ERA against righties. That ain't glowing. But look at the whip. Walks, hits per inning pitched. Against lefties, it's at 1.74. Against righties, it's at 1.08. 1.08 is a fantastic whip. That's a really good whip. He's given up eight home runs to lefties, only one home run to a righty. That, I mean, that is a significant split there. And uh, Pruszynski got into this. It's the way he attacks lefties. It's the pitches he uses to attack lefties. So his sinker is just straight, straight garbage. It's absolutely terrible right now. Um, batters total are hitting three 51 off his sinker. And he's thrown it 42.5% of the time. He's thrown that sinker 314 times this season. 
The next highest pitch is the slider at 157 and the four-seam fastball at 132. Almost 50%, 42.5% of the time he's throwing the sinker, and they're batting. This isn't expected batting. This isn't some projection. This is true batting average, 351. They're slugging 608 off of that sinker. Why is he still using that pitch? All right, so here's, here's the further breakdown, though. Lefties, lefties are hitting 405 off of his sinker. 381 against his changeup. They're only hitting 222 against his four-seam fastball, 100 against his curve, and he thrown the slider the least to lefties. And Przinsky was begging him to throw that slider to a lefty yesterday. Lefties are only hitting 143 off of his slider. So yeah, that those are the numbers against lefties. They're hitting 405 against the sinker. Now, Davey, you're probably asking Davey, how many times did he throw that sinker to a left-handed batter yesterday? Well, if we go over to the illustrator, he threw that sinker a ton. An absolute ton. He threw it 37.5% of the time uh, to left-handed hitters. The most of any pitch he threw left-handed hitters yesterday. And he wasn't really getting it in. There's a bunch that are just outside the strike zone to the left of the plate. Just he threw wide that they laid off for balls. And then there's a bunch located in the middle of the zone. And those are the ones that got hit around. Those are the ones that absolutely got destroyed. The home run he gave up uh, was actually a four-seam fastball to G-Man Choi. Uh, The one to Brett Phillips was a changeup. What else here? Let's zoom in a little bit here. The other home run was actually a slider that he tried throwing to Austin Meadows. That one was cranked for a home run, 104.4 miles per hour. Uh, the doubles he gave up to G-Man Choi was a sinker. The double he gave up to Joey Wendell was a four-seam fastball. Um, so those are the things he was getting hit around on. But I can tell you, based on location, uh, the sinker, he was pounding. He was putting it right down the middle or missing away with it. And then to right-handed hitters, he threw a couple of sinkers, a couple of fastballs, and then a ton of sliders. He threw... To right-handed hitters, uh, 52.2% were sliders of the 23 pitches he threw to right-handers. Now, they stacked the lineup with lefties against him because they knew the numbers. How did Tampa Bay know the data? But it feels like Cleveland didn't know the data. If lefties are hitting 405 off of his sinker, why is he throwing so many sinkers to left-handed hitters? If we go over to the player breakdown here, Um, you can see how bad the sinker was. 12 swings, zero whiffs. Three foul balls, nine put in play. He got five called strikes on it. It's good for a 16% CSW. Meanwhile, the slider, 13 swings, eight whiffs on that slider. It's good for a 39% CSW on that pitch. Uh, 10 swings on the fastball, zero whiffs on the fastball, but at least he got six foul balls. They fouled off more than they put in play. Only four put in play. Now, the average exit velocity off his fastball was 100.9 miles per hour. That's the average exit velocity was 100. But at least they were fouling some off. Not with that sinker, man. They were just cranking that sinker. The average exit velocity on that was 97.3. 
So yeah, his total CSW on the day, by the way, 25%. Now, we looked at his uh, left-handed batting. Let's look at right-handed batters against him, the splits there. On the slider, right-handed hitters are hitting 0.95. Against the sinker, they're hitting 276, all right. On the four-seam fastball, they're hitting 333, slugging 500 off of his fastball. So what does this data tell me? This data tells me that he should continue to attack righties, slider, sinker. And then, if we flip over to lefties, he should attack lefties with the four-seam fastball, curved slider. He should stop throwing the sinker and the changeup to lefties. Just stop. They're destroyed. They're slugging 8-10 off of his sinker. They're slugging 762 off of his changeup. Knock it off, man. Go forcing fastball, curve slider against lefties. Go sinker slider against righties. You use the how am I, how am I a podcaster, a fan podcaster, able to break down this data? And yet they're still calling for so many sinkers against left-handed pitching. So yeah, so that's the data on JC Mejia. That's the splits. The other thing, the other thing they pointed out on the broadcast last night is the first inning woes. My God, the splits in the first inning. He's got a 15.58 ERA in the first inning. I believe they said it's the worst ERA in baseball in the first inning. He's given up 15 runs on 8.2 thirds innings pitched in the first inning. He's got a 2.31 whip in the first inning. He also sucks in the fifth inning, by the way. A 14.54 ERA, uh, 2.08 whip in that fifth inning. So obviously, he struggles in the first, settles down, usually can't get out of the fifth. I mean, that's kind of the MO here. If that's the situation... Why will they not try an opener for J.C. Mejia? That would make all the sense in the world. If Maton came on, pitched that first inning, Trevor Steffen, somebody, came on, pitched that first inning, and then Mejia got to go out there in the second inning where he has a zero ERA and a 0.50 whip, would it work? Or would he, you know, mentally, would he treat it like the second inning or would he treat it like the first inning? I, I don't know. But it would get him past those big hitters in the lineup. It would get him past the G-Man Choi's of the world and the Nelson Cruz's of the world and get him hopefully into a better spot in the lineup to come in and settle down. It's worth a shot, right? I mean, they talked about being creative with the pitching situation, but it doesn't feel like they've been that creative. So, yeah, so that's the second storyline of the game. Mejia absolutely destroyed um, as far as the offense goes, the offense was just terrible. I told you their bullpen dominated. I mean, we had five hits total on the day. We score one run in the second inning. Bobby Bradley absolutely smokes a um, smokes a ball opposite field. I love when Bobby Bradley goes opposite field. In fact, let's pull up this at bat with one out in the second inning. Throws him a slider High and tight for a called strike. Lays off that. Throws him a changeup away for a ball. Throws him another changeup away. This time, it's at belt level. It's in the strike zone. He can extend his hands. And we know Bobby Bradley can go opposite field. This is the perfect pitch to go opposite field on. A changeup just floating out there. 
perfect pitch. He goes 107.1, 29-degree launch angle, 409 feet. It's a beautiful swing from Bobby Bradley. Unfortunately, that's pretty much all the offense had. Uh, Ahmed Rosario had a hit. Fermio Reyes had a hit. Uh, And Bradley Zimmer at the bottom of the order goes two for three with a double and a run scored. Now, he would score on some silliness where Cesar Hernandez would chop one in front of the plate. Uh, The throw to first base would be over G-Man Choi's head. I believe Zimmer stops at third base on that. Ahmed Rosario strikes out, and then Jose Ramirez grounds out to bring Bradley Zimmer in. So we had a chance at a big inning there, and really it was a chance to get back in the game. I mean, at that point, it was 4-1. to If Ahmed Rosario or Jose Ramirez come up with a big hit there and bring in those two runs, you're looking at a 4-3 game. We're right back in this thing. All it would have taken was one hit in that sixth inning. Unfortunately, the ground out, the RBI ground out, is the only thing the offense could deliver. So it was a big struggle day for the offense. I mean, they ended up striking out 10 times as a team. They went 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position yesterday as a team. So what can I say? It was just a rough, rough day for the offense. Uh, Interesting lineup here. They, They actually bumped Daniel Johnson up to seventh in the lineup. And eventually, Oscar Mercado would pinch hit for him. I'm guessing because a lefty pitcher came in. And, uh, I mean, that's interesting. A guy hits a home run in the ninth inning, and suddenly he gets to hit seventh. Uh, I probably would have flipped that around. I probably would have put Bradley Zimmer seventh and Daniel Johnson ninth. I'm I'm surprised that, well, it wasn't Terry Francona. It was Hale. But I'm sure Francona made the lineup. Um, I'm surprised that they were that reactionary to Daniel Johnson's home run. I, I, don't, I don't know why you would have flipped him and Bradley Zimmer in the lineup that quickly. Because uh, Zimmer's actually actually been doing okay. I mean, he's, if Zimmer's having an okay July. In fact, if you give me a second to open up his page, and we'll look at the splits. Look at the splits. By the way, what I said about Terry Francona, Francona was home with a huge head cold. And dude, can I sympathize. Can you hear it in my voice? I have been fighting a massive head cold for like four days now, and it is brutal. Head colds like this in the summer just absolutely suck. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Yeah, so for the month of July, Zimmer's hitting 250. He's got a 754 OPS for the month of July. But if you look post-All-Star, post-All-Star, Bradley Zimmer is hitting 333 with a 955 OPS. Bradley Zimmer has been one of our best players post-All-Star game. Will this continue in August? I have no clue. But you got to give credit where credit's due. He had two hits yesterday, and he's crushing it post-All-Star break. MVP for the day, though, I'm going to give it up to Bobby Bradley. Anytime we can see that power from Bobby Bradley, anytime he's going opposite field for home runs, I mean, really, it's, it's the only thing the offense really had to show yesterday. So, uh, Bobby Bradley, you get MVP for the day. Big hit from him. Uh, And it's good to see because, obviously, those back spasms or that lower back injury has been bothering him, right? He's missed a couple of games recently. So, to see him take a big swing to left field like that, that's encouraging. So, Bobby Bradley, MVP for the day on a day when, frankly, him and Bradley Zimmer maybe were the only two guys that really, really showed up to the ballpark to do anything. 
So yeah, so uh, the other storylines, the other things going on that I wanted to talk about, some more national news. Uh, first off, if you did not see Springer's catch in the Toronto Mets game, uh, Toronto Mets, Toronto Blue Jays, New York Mets game, uh, George Springer made a catch in center field for the Toronto Blue Jays that should be in baseball highlights for the next 20 years. I mean, total Superman dive out there in uh, left center field. Unbelievable. And I think what makes it even greater is how he landed so smoothly. He caught that ball, rolled over his shoulder, and uh, onto his back for a nice smooth landing. Uh, It was absolutely fantastic. So if you haven't seen the highlight of that yet, I highly recommend looking up the highlights of the Blue Jays game and checking out this catch from Springer. In other national news, uh, one of the national writers, I forget who, is trying to trying to pass off the rumor that the Indians are listening to offers for Jose Ramirez and that Seattle might be interested. And they've got a couple of top prospects ready to go back to Cleveland. That is just ridiculous. That is ab- I do not believe that for a second. And everybody on Indians Twitter was making great points about this. The Indians already have a problem at the end of this season where they have to get a bunch of guys onto their 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, right? There's a couple of guys that have been in the minor league systems for too long, and they're going to be eligible to be basically stolen by other teams. Hey, we got Trevor Steffen in that Rule 5 draft. We lost Kai Tom in that Rule 5 draft, although I don't think he's having that great of a season now that he's with Pittsburgh. So this happens. I mean, this absolutely happens. When you stack the upper levels of your minor league system with talent, you either got to bring that talent up to the major league level or risk losing them in the Rule 5 draft. So if you traded Jose Ramirez for a package of five prospects, some at AAA, some at AA, some at single A, you would have to find room for some of them on your 40-man roster, especially those AAA guys. If you don't, they'd be eligible to be stolen from other teams. So what would be the point of trading Jose Ramirez and getting back guys that could be stolen by other teams? That's what everyone's pointing out. Or it would would force more names out of the roster. And then I don't even know who the guys who are banging on the door of the 40-man roster are, but uh, it's it's a real situation. So that is one of the easiest ways to say Jose Ramirez probably isn't going to be traded for a huge boatload of prospects. Now, I could see them trading Cesar Hernandez. I could absolutely see that happening. Eddie Rosario, I could see that happening. Don't forget, he's still on this team, even though he hasn't played in a while. Eddie Rosario, I could see that happening. Uh, I Yeah, there are some definitely some veterans on this team that I could see trading, but not Jose Ramirez. I mean, he's under team control with those option years for a few more years. It just makes no sense. But now that the Indians are down at 500, and honest to God, after today's game against the Rays, have a real chance of falling under 500, I can see him going into sell mode. I can see him selling off a reliever or two. And now, not Karen Cech, not Classe. We're talking Brian Shaw. Maybe someone will be foolish enough to take Wick, Nick Wickren off her hands. As long as he doesn't face the Tampa Bay Rays, Nick Wickren's probably fine. So, uh, yeah, we, we could see a couple of veterans moved off this team, but not Jose Ramirez. That just makes no sense right now. 
I mean, clearly there's things they want Nolan Jones to keep working on because he hasn't gotten the call-up yet, right? I mean, that would open the door for Nolan Jones, but, I mean, that would really destroy the fan base if they traded Jose Ramirez. That would be a terrible, terrible move. So, I don't know about that. Um, and there hasn't been any other huge trades. We're still waiting on the big blockbuster trades. There's been some small ones. Now, the Rangers are talking about re-signing Joey Gallo. That was a big name floating out there. So, there's still some time to go on this trade deadline. It is coming. It is absolutely coming. We are going to have some big names to talk about here. Uh, the other big Indians news is that they've signed a ton of their draft uh the draft class. I think 20 or 19 of the 20 players they drafted have been signed. And they were able to get their first round pick a little bit under value, which meant they had a little bit more money to throw at their third round pick, at their fourth round pick, which is big. I mean, signing those guys is big. There are plenty of situations where a draftee doesn't take the money, goes back to college for another year. Now, we're lucky we signed a lot of, we drafted a lot of college players right? I think there was probably a strategy there and avoided some of the high school players who do turn down offers to go play for their college teams, go fulfill their college commitments, and then come back and get drafted even higher, right? Maybe advance through the minors a little faster because they have a little more maturity on them. We avoided that situation. We drafted a lot of college guys and we were able to get them signed and we'll get them into our minor league system now. So, that's some big news from the Indians. So that's what's going on. That's all my thoughts on this day. The uh, man, the Tampa Bay Rays, um, they're just a better team than we are. I mean, we got to give credit where credit's due. They're absolutely destroying us this season. So we'll see if we can salvage a game here, if we can stave off falling below 500, which would, which would be brutal. All right, that's all my thoughts. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Ferris. You can email the show at clevelandbasementmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbasementmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.